Presented by Head Speaks. This is an hourish long podcast where we'll talk about the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll talk about every appearance of these two great characters. If you've never read them or haven't read them in a while, this may be a good time to explore these issues. Now, let's get started with our first comic. And welcome back to. Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. This is episode 15. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Brotherhead Moss. And again, as usual, I am here to discuss the Star Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Two great series I really enjoyed. Uh, I think, honestly, I was a bigger fan of Starman, or, yeah, Starman, but I enjoyed the Mark Shaw Manhunter also, so. But, that's for the first time listeners. If you've been here since the beginning for the last 14 episodes, you know who I am. You know what the show's about. So let's get started. Uh, this month, we're looking at the April 1989 cover dated issues. Or not cover dated, but the on sale issues. These issues on sale in April 1989. First up, we're going to look at Manhunter number 14. The cover date on this said June 1989, but the on sale date was April the 11th, 1989. The cover price was $1.00. Editor was Barbara J. Kiesel. The title of this issue is called Misdirection. Writer was Kim Yell and John Ossinger, as usual. Penciler Doug Rice. Inker Pablo Marcos. Letterer Albert Tobias de Guzman. Colorist Juliana Freder. And the cover was done by our buddy Doug Rice. And this was reprinted in Suicide Squad, the Janice Directive Trey Paperback. This issue of Manhunter crossed over. Since it was the Janus Directive trade paperback, it crossed over to the Janus Directive, which I'm going to cover here in just a second. Uh, real quick, I just recently picked up this trade paperback from InStock Trades. A great site for what, uh, trade paperbacks. Got a great deal on it. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the Janus Directive real quick. <clears throat> so the Janus Directive was an 11-part comic book crossover, first published by DC Comics between May and June of 1989. Among the creators who contributed to the storyline were writers John Ossinger, Kim Yell, Paul Kupperberg, Carrie Bates, and Greg Weissman. And artists were included were John K. Snyder III, Rick Hodgeberg, Raphael Kenyanye, Tom Mandrake, and Pat Broderick. The history behind it? The crossover storyline ran through the following titles. Checkmate, issues 15 through 18, Suicide Squad, 28 through 30, Manhunter, number 14, Firestorm 86, and for the first few pages of 87, and Captain Adam number 80. Checkmate and Suicide Squad were published bi-weekly for the duration of the event. The storyline focused on the covert, covert operations, super teams, and organizations that existed in the DC Universe at the time. And for more information on this Janus Directive and for a full in-depth coverage, 
check out my Task Force X podcast here in the next couple of months. I'm going to be starting the Janus Directive uh, crossover. We're all actually look at each title. This month, we're just going to give a quick uh, plot of the entire story. And then we're going to look at the Mark Shaw Manhunter issue that took place during like halfway through it. So here is the, the plot. The Suicide Squad leader, Amanda Waller, began to send her agents on missions in the apparent pursuit of her own private agenda, the so-called Janus Directive, one that brought the squad into conflict with other metahumans, villains, and government agencies. So an all-out mayhem broke loose among these groups, involving various metahumans associated with the United States military and civilian agencies. Eventually, it came out that Waller had not gone rogue, but had been nearly assassinated by a cult leader, Cobra. Cobra tried... That's Cobra with a K, not Cobra the C from G.I. Joe. Different Cobra. Cobra had tried to murder Waller and replace her with a subservient doppelganger in order to then manipulate and mislead the various government agencies to keep them from stopping his own plan. What was that? To activate a massive space-based microwave pulse cannon that would try to that would fry all electronic systems, not to mention human nervous systems, in the eastern United States, unleashing the Kali Yuga. The age of chaos he thought was his destiny to commence. It doesn't sound like very much of a Cobra Commander plan, though, huh? Anyways, <clears throat> Waller had gotten the drop on her double and murdered it instead, but instead he decided to play the role of the double in order to ferret out the true mastermind behind the Janus Directive. Eventually, the truth was revealed, and the groups united in Storm Cobra's space art, capturing him and destroying the weapon. The fallout of the Janus Directive saw a very irate President Bush reorganize the various agencies to bring them more tightly under executive control. He dissolved Task Force X, the umbrella organization under both which Checkmate and the squad operated, the coded agencies becoming autonomous, and made Sarge still a cabinet-level official with overall control of all government metahuman activity on the civilian side. General Wade Elling was made the, his equivalent in the Department of Defense. Waller spent on probation by Bush because of our lone wolf tactics, much to her displeasure. Waller would soon thereafter be in prison for taking matters in her own hands, one time too many, after she led an assassination team to personally liquidate the voodoo-oriented drug ring called the Loa. This led to the all, shutdown of all Suicide Squad operations for one year, which Ian will get you over in the Task Force X podcast at some point. The major players in this, while individual operators like Firestorm, a.k.a. Ronnie Raymond, Firehawk and Manhunter, a.k.a. Mark Shaw, did play a part in the storyline's resolution. There were no errors important as the characters in this chart. And again, I'm pulling all this information from Wikipedia on the Janus Directive, and there's a nice little chart laid out there of the players involved. Uh, there's Project Captain At- Project Adam, which involved Major Wade Elling, Professor Heinrich Megala, Captain Adam, the major force. There's a CBI which involved Starge Still, King Faraday, Chase, uh, John Chase, and Cherry Chase. Checkmate, which involved Harry Stein, Harvey Bullock, yes, that Harvey Bullock from Batman fame, Valentine Volstock, Gary Washington, Black Thorn, and the Checkmate Knights. The Force of July, which was a patriotic team made up of Major Victory, Lady Liberty, Mayflower, Silent Majority, Sparkler, and Abraham Lincoln Carl, Carlisle. Project Peacemaker, which involved Peacemaker, and the Suicide Squad, which involved Amanda Waller, Bronze Tiger, Vixen, Raven, Captain Boomerang, Duchess, Shade the Changing Man, and Count Vertigo. And as I briefly retouched earlier, here's the actual tie-in issues. 
Part one, it started in Checkmate, number 15, which came out in May of 1989. Then went to Suicide Squad, number 27. Checkmate, number 16. Part four was in Suicide Squad, 28. Part five was Checkmate, 17. Part six, which is our concern today, Manhunter, number 14, which is right about the mid- midway point. Uh, then went to Firestorm, number 86. And then it went back and finished up with Captain or Suicide Squad, 29. Checkmate, 18. Suicide Squad 30, and concluded Captain Adam number 30 with Part 11. And again, not bannered as part of the crossover, parts of Firestorm 87 were an epilogue to the storyline. And again, over my Task Force X podcast, I'm a couple months behind these issues. So here in a couple months, I should be getting to the Jazz Directive over there. If you want to hear full, in-depth coverage of the Jazz Directive, check out Task Force X, one of my other podcasts. I think I may have mentioned before. <laughs> Anyways, the synopsis for this issue. Uh, Amanda Waller visits Mark Shaw's office and convinces him to help her find information about the Janus Directive. Manhunter then infiltrates the offices of the Anaconda Industries where he witnesses an experiment involving a microwave gun. When he is spotted, Shaw is chased by a group of ninja assassins. They pursue him onto a subway car and eventually believe they have killed him. Dun, dun, dun. Now for my thoughts on this issue. As you usual we start with the cover uh, the cover first of all starts with has on the left hand side of this page it has number six and it says the jazz directive part six of eleven just to let you know where it fits in with the jazz directive crossover as with manhunter it really came out of nowhere because it didn't really build up to anything in the storyline up to this point so if you were buying the jazz directive storyline and you're browsing the covers well, i'm sure the last issue of the crossover told you to come here and this book is clearly labeled as part of the crossover. The cover itself, we see Mark Shaw, baton in hand, leaping or falling down through, looks like some pipes of some sort. All around him are about a half a dozen ninjas dressed in black. One's grappling on a rope. Another one's got a sword pulled. Another one's got a baton. Actually, two of them have swords. One is baton. A couple's climbing on these pipes. It's a very nice cover. Down at the bottom, it says, Caught by Cobra. Again, it's a very nice cover. It's very indicative of what's going to happen in the issue. Uh, not much. I mean, it's, it's really nicely laid out. We got our Manhunter, like I say, front and center. Full color, full glory. Looking very good. His, uh, his scarf's, as he's falling, so his scarf's falling up in, it's up in the air, showing that, you know, the movement. It gives you, and that's one thing about the scarf. I haven't really I've talked about much of this series so far but the scarf is a good thing I mean, again as pointed out in the Incredibles movie yeah capes probably a bad thing because you can get caught on jetted turbines and whatnot and scarves are kind of similar that's like when you're in shop you can't have scarves and things hanging off you because you get caught in machinery so I don't know how good it is to have a scarf in the heat of combat so we could grab it and use it against you but from a visual storytelling point of view, it's really nice because it, let, it help gives you a sense of movement in a static image. So I really like that. Again, it's a really nice cover. I like this cover of Manhunter. Then moving on to the actual story itself. Again, the artwork, I'm just going to say offhand, right off front, as usual, is the usual great artwork we get from Manhunter. It's our regular penciler of Doug Rice, so I mean, what do you expect? It's, it's his usual great work 
if I come across any abnormally, I'll mention out. But otherwise, yeah, I enjoy the artwork in here. Uh, we go on to the story itself. We have Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt. Try that again. We have Mark Shaw sitting there smoking a pipe, opening up a box, receiving another present from the Southern Cross Salvage Corp, which we know from a couple issues ago. He helped out down Australia. And I like this behind him, under it looks like probably his bunk bed. Uh, we see his manor setup. We see his mask, his computer, his batons. He's got like three regular masks. And let's get a couple, a couple of half masks or something. Not quite sure what those are, though maybe there's parts of the mask, but I'd say the part Matt, but then again in this box he just got, well I guess it's different. So yeah, he's got like the go have a half mask look like, or maybe it's part of the mask, I'm not sure, but he said opening a box, as I said, from Southern Cross Salvage, and they sent another gift. Last month they sent him a little kangaroo, and this month they sent him a what's what do you call it? A mini mask that he asked him to make. That way, something can slip in his pocket. That way, if he's out in the town and he's going out manhunter, he can pop out his mask. And usually, he pops it out full size here. And as he's looking at the mask, he hears a knock on the door. And we get here at the bottom of page two. It's an odd design, but it's because he's looking through a people. We see Amanda Waller. And again, if you haven't listened to my Task Force X podcast, you're missing out. I love that show. I love that comic. The Suicide Squad mainly, but also love Checkmate. But Suicide Squad is one of my favorites. Amanda Waller is one of my favorite people on that team. And this is our first appearance, I think, of Amanda Waller. She may have shut up earlier for it now. But anyways, in this issue, we have Amanda Waller. and She's all googly eye almost. You know, we've got one big eye because she's looking in the people herself. Trying to see Mark. See, like she can see Mark through the people. Mark's up there, he's like, thinking to himself, he's like, who? She's like, open a Shaw before I go through it. <laughs> and he opens the door. Amanda Waller looks a little off here. And it's just, I am used to over in the Task Force X portion of her. I am not used to her over here on another artist drawing her. Drawing her? So she, she looks a little odd. She comes walking in. And Amanda Waller, if you're not familiar with her, yeah, she's a short, shorter, squat, heavyset black woman that this first issue here, first panel here on page three, sums her up. As soon as Mark opens the door, she comes rushing in. We get some speed lines behind her to show that, you know, she's just rushing through the room. And again, while she looks a little odd, it's very much showing Amanda Waller bullying her way through things. And that's what Amanda does. And that's what I love about her. I like this. She comes walking the thing. She complains. She's like, you just had to live at the top floor of a five-story walk-up, didn't you, Shaw? Listen, I got some work for you to do. And again, you know, she's no, hi, how you doing? Or can I come in? She's just, you know, comes barreling straight in, complaining about where Mark lives and saying, you know what? I got a job for you, mister. And he's like, gee, that's strange. I could have sworn the phone still worked. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. I like that. It's basically Mark telling him, you know, use the phone next time, woman. And again, I, I just compliment the art in this book. I love Doug Rice's artwork in here. My only, as I said, I kind of complained about this first panel on this page. This page here is not my, f I like the dialogue on it, in it and what's going on. But the artwork in here is not the greatest on this page, at least. Uh, we'll get to the pages in a minute, but. 
especially with Amanda, maybe it's just he's not used to drawing an overweight woman. I, I don't know. She just comes off odd looking. And maybe it's just because I'm used to Amanda over in the Suicide Squad and here it's a different artist with a different sensibility. Uh is not bad looking, but yeah, Amanda just strikes me as very odd looking, just the proportions. But, uh, so again, so Mark's joking, you know, saying, you know, complaining that she didn't use the phone. And she's like, don't get cute with me, Shaw. If I thought I could use the phone, I would have. Exercise is not one of my high priority hobbies. <laughs> and you know what, Amanda? I'm right there with you, sister. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah. Exercise is not one of my high priority hobbies. In fact, I'm going to start using that line in my personal life. But that's another story entirely. Let's go ahead and move on here. Uh, so again, he says, you know, I got no problem. You have, or I'm going to say, I think you have a problem. You don't want to use the squad. And we get a little asterisk here saying that Amanda Waller is the head of the, uh, try that again. Amanda Waller is the head of Task Force X and the Suicide Squad. And she says the problem may be the Suicide Squad. And basically she goes in and talk about how uh, she was attacked. And uh, this refers back to Suicide Squad 28 which happened in the fourth part of the Genesis Directive. But again, so again, we went over this in the, uh, the synopsis. She wants to hire Mark to help her find out what's going on. And then we move here to page four. And here, I, I don't know if he's changing style a little bit in that story or what it is, but Amanda doesn't look as badly drawn here. She looks a little more herself on these pages. Uh, we find out here, so again, what this issue is doing, this not this issue, but the, these first few pages, is kind of recapping what's going on over the Janus Directive over on the Suicide Squad Checkmate books, which you know, I'll be getting to here in a couple months. And uh, again, she's like, you know, she's telling that someone's trying to create a war between the various metahuman covert action agencies, something codenamed Janus Directive. And Mark's like, various? I thought the Suicide Squad was unique, one of a kind. Bell Rev, the eighth wonder of the world. And she's like, I don't write checks for sarcasm, Shaw. There's a lot you don't know that you don't need to know. <laughs> and again, here on page, again, I'm on page four still, uh, middle of the panel, or middle of the page is the panel with just her and Mark and Silhouette. I really love this panel. This panel is very nicely drawn. Uh, you don't need any detail, but just them in the silhouette, sit, her sitting, him standing by a table, with her saying, I, I need you to do this. And he's like, no. Yeah, look, Mrs. Waller, I'm a bounty hunter, not an industrial spy. I survive because I calculate my risk and stack the odds as far as I can in my favor. I'd be working blind because I don't have the experience. If head job's so important, get a professional. Better for you, safer for me. And again, she's looking, she's like, I did. They're captured. We're dead. And again, here also on page four, again, I spend a lot of time on these pages here just because it's Amanda Waller. and There's either some bad artwork or some great artwork. It flips flops between the two. Here on the bottom of page four, we get Mark Haw, Mark Haw? Mark Shaw, when he's telling you I'm, I'm a bounty hunter, you, you need to get someone else professional. Behind him, we see his shadow is in the form of the manhunter. I love when they do things like that with these characters. They give him their civilian ID and behind him, they show the, the shadow is in the form of their uh, alter ego, if you will. And so Mark goes on to tell her, you know what? Great selling point, sister. The guys who knew what they were doing got killed. So you want me to do it? <laughs> you forget it. And she's like, I forget nothing, mister. 
I forget how you called us up when you wanted a jet fighter, how you got my personal secretary to do your research for your private jobs. You owe us, mister. And again, I mean, this is pure Amanda. She, she bullies her way through things. She thinks it just because she, she pushes her way through and she, she's loud enough. People's going to mend her will. And most people tend to. But again, one thing about our hero, Mark, he doesn't bend like that. He's like, I won't be bullied. And she's like, look, we'll be with you all the way. We'll give you home device, your baton. We'll help you out if you need it. And he's like, I won't need any help because I'm not going to do it. And the man kind of breaks down. She doesn't really break down. She tells you, listen, I got no one else. Hard cold facts. I'd do it myself if I could. The Fan Nation's writing on this. I'm scared to death, Shaw. I'm up against it. I'm begging. And as I said earlier, usually Amanda bullies her way through things. She she forces things. She she does what she wants, and she you know makes no apology about it. So for her to beg and for her to ask for help, well, I don't want to say it's out of character for Amanda. It's very much not Amanda's thing. So she's doing it. Mark knows that it's serious and it's some bad mojo jojo coming down because again, asking and begging for help is not Amanda style. She'll bully her way through. And do whatever she needs to to make someone do what she needs. So, yeah, for her to beg and plead for Mark's help on this. Again, you see here, Mark's looking down. We give him a shadow. Where'd she say this corporation's at? <laughs> Great scene. And then we get some scenes of Mark traveling to O'Hare International Airport. And we get some good panels and some good artwork on these pages here. And then we get Mark into the building, going through. We get some ninjas following him. And then we find Mark where he finds these guys that are experimenting. And they, they have a, what is it, a, uh, a gun that has a microwave energy. And whenever they blast, they show blasting on a rat and it just kills the rat dead. And leaving the buildings in touch. So, if, again, if you're going to try to take out everyone in the city, best way to do it is kill the people and leave the buildings in hex. So you have an infrastructure already in place. And again, they do make the obvious comments that, you know, well, there is a piece of uncontrolled fires. And other things that, you know, may be problematic. But for the most part, they should have the cities inhabitable once they're done. And so Mark suddenly, now here on the bottom of page 11, we get a sniper scoping in on Mark. And he jumps right before he gets shot. And, you know, I love what he's using his baton. He jumps off the, the, the ledging he's on, the, the railing, whatever it is, and uses the baton to fire himself and move himself away from the blaster or trying to shoot him with. And, again, the next couple pages, we get some fight, fight, run, run of Mark running from these ninjas. These ninjas have some little jet packs with wings on them. Kind of reminds me of uh, Mach 1, and then he changed the name a couple times over in the Thunderbolts comic a little bit, now that I think about it. And this actually came out first, so... I guess Mock would remind me of this, but that's nitpicking. But yeah, so again, here at the bottom of page 15, Mark's running from these ninjas with these jetpacks. Blast! I need a second to go the defensive, from the defensive to the offensive. Now, give it to me. Where are you, Waller? Never a cop around when you need one. Heck, heck, at this time of night, maybe I'll find some topside. Because again, they're on this, uh, the subways. So yeah, they take this fight out into the streets. And here on page 17, Mark jumps, drops his bike, jumps on a passing train. 
Again, he thought it was the A train. And he says, oh, great, it's the B station. I don't, I know there's different, you know, A train, B train, and all that. I, I don't know all the different types of trains. I don't know what the meaning of them is. So, again, being from a small town in California, I don't understand the significance that he planned on taking the A train. Basically, oh, great, it's the B train. I don't know if it's because it's going the wrong way or what the difference is between the A train and the B train. If you guys have any thoughts on that, let me know. But he jumps on top of the train. He gets the flying ninja shooting at him. And he takes out a couple of them, or one of them. And uh, here, page 19, yeah, him and one of them fighting. They fall off the track. There's a bit of an explosion because one of them hits the third rail. Suddenly, Mark Shaw stands up. And the ninja with the backpack on says, The manor, he's trying to escape. And Mark jumps over the side of the, uh, off the off of the uh, train track. And the ninjas fire at him, blowing holes in him, killing him, making him fall into the water. And so they jump in to try to find him. All they can find is his mask. So apparently Mark Shaw's dead. So in issue 15, Mark Shaw died, apparently. They say, here's the mask. There can be no doubt. Manhunter is dead. So he died in this massive crossover. It says we continue to jazz directive next month, Mirage. Um, so yeah, so the series is over. That's the last Spirits of Mark Shaw, apparently. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out next month what happens with Mark. But again, an, an enjoyable issue. Again, I, I think you, again, I read the jazz directive originally, and I'm going to read it here shortly for the uh, Task Force X podcast. But I believe this issue fits in fine. It makes you want to read the other issues of the Jazz Direct to see what's going on. But it is relatively a self-contained story. I mean, it's we continue next month. I don't think Mark's got much more further involvement. Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, again, I said it was a good issue. I enjoyed the artwork. I enjoyed the story. And I, I may look at this... More overall, again, I'm going to keep referring to my Task Force X podcast when I look at the Jazz Directive overall. But just looking at this one issue, since he's not able to contact, I mean, unless he shows up further than Jazz Directive in the other books, I don't remember. Uh, this is the only issue that involves him in his series. If he doesn't make contact with Amanda, this issue's kind of a waste. But it was a good story. So I'm undecided. So right now I'm going to give it a pass. Because it was a good story, good artwork for the most part. Had some quibbles of Amanda at the beginning, but... And we'll... If you want to know more about the Jazz Directive, like I said, check out Task Force X. Where I will talk more about this. But... And I'll figure out later on, once I'm done there, probably six, eight months down the road somewhere, I'll come to a decision whether or not uh, the Manhunter book was actually worth it, or if it was just a a fill-in, if you will. But that's going to do it for Manhunter. Um, uh, I'm going to make another comment here. As I said, for the mailbag, I don't have much mail or anything, so I'll throw it out here. Over on Twitter, I had some buddies I, I posted about my last issue. And if you remember right, I, I played the song Tie Me Up, Kangaroo, or whatever it was. And I made mention I had to look it up because I wasn't familiar. I knew I heard of it, but I wasn't sure, and I played the song at the end. Well, I had some tweets, 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 tweets 
on that. So I'm just going to talk about it here real quick since the, the comments I'm going to talk about involves the Man Hunter. Our buddy Coffee and Comics, which is Clinton Robinson, who was uh, just a, recently, a month or two ago, over on my Head Speaks podcast. And he's going to be on there on the next episode, episode uh, 38, talking about either the Superman or Action Comics. And I forget which one it was. Uh, dealing with the Army of 2001. McClinton says, Oh Lordy, at Headcast Network, again, this is over on Twitter. Uh, he said, Oh Lordy, at Headcast Network, reference Timey Down Kangaroo. This amuses me to no end. And then another buddy of ours, Hicks, who is uh, part of the Doom Patrol podcast, another great show. I had him on my Task Force X podcast here a while back. He makes a comment, Oh no, that's, that's no good now. And he says that Mark Shaw should have known better. And so I'd reply, well, I mean, except for the, you know, the notorious, as I talked about last issue, the, that fourth verse they removed, what's wrong with the Tiny Down Kangaroo? And apparently uh, our buddy Hicks says that the guy who wrote and sang it is in jail for being a huge sexual predator. And again, they, apparently Mark Shaw should have known that. Uh, yeah, I told thanks for that. I did not realize this. Thanks for the information. I guess I'd inquire when that happened because, again, this comic came out in 89. So, I mean, if it was after that, well, again, Mark had no no way of knowing that was going to happen. So, Mark's innocent, all right? Give me a break, Paul. Jeez. (laughs) But thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for commenting on this. Uh, Again, you don't get much play on anywhere on these shows, but I want to thank you guys for commenting and giving me some information and feedback on that. Again, Hicks is an Australian Paul Hicks, or the Doom Patrol podcast. Uh, him and his buddy Mark Garvey are both Australians. They're from the uh, land down under, if you will. So again, they would know about the whole tiny down kangaroo and that whole situation. So that yeah, was very nice. Thank you, guys. Anyways, that'll do it for this segment. Hold still. I'm going to play some promos from some other shows you should check out. Once you have mine. And then I'll be right back with the Starman issue. Hold tight. We'll return after these messages. Hello, I'm Pat Sampson, and I would like to invite you to join me on my podcast, The Longbox Crusade. On this podcast, I'm reading through my 20-plus longboxes that I have stored away in my basement. On each episode, I will select a random issue from my collection and take a very highbrow, thoughtful approach to examining these truly American art forms that help to shape our popular culture. Oh, I like comics too. Uh, can I get a comic out of my long box that syncs up with the month and year of the comic from your long box and chat about that too? Oh, oh and video games. Can we talk about games? Or, or maybe James Bond too. I love James Bond. <sighs> Fine. Jared Elbrick, a.k.a. the Yard Sale Artist. We can add some of your comics and enthusiasm to the show. It might help get a deeper introspection of... Did someone say James Bond? I love James Bond, and I love comics, too. I can bring a comic from my long box to sync up with you guys. I also love movies and music, even news stories that tie into the time period that match the comic books we review. Uh, This is what I get for inviting both the Albrecht brothers into my show. Jason, how the heck can we fit all that into my deeply intellectual review of... Well, you know what? Fine. Let's do it. Let's cram it all into one podcast. 
Join us on the Longbox Crusade, folks. We'll bounce around in time from issue to issue, pulled randomly from my Longboxes, and the Alpert Brothers will bring along issues with the same month and year cover date. We'll talk about the comics and the time period they come from, including... World news of that time. Top 40 music chart toppers. Movies, both good and bad. Maybe even some favorite recipes. Whatever I think is funny. We'll probably have to suffer through things that Jared thinks are funny. We'll jam it all into one pop culture extravaganza, examining the comics in my longbox and the time period surrounding them. Join us for a wild ride through time on the Longbox Crusade podcast as we attempt to read them all. What's in your longbox? Network, it's MASHCAST! Hosted by MASH Megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHCAST analyzes, episode by episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH! Find MASHCAST on fireandwaterpodcast.com Jocularity! Jocularity! Doom Patrol 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol destroyed issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol showcase 94. 1987, Doom Patrol Volume 2, Copperberg Lytle. 1989, Morrison and Case, Issue 19. 1993, Pollack, Issue 64. 2001, Doom Patrol Volume 3, Arcudi Hewitt. 2004, Doom Patrol Volume 4, Burn. Shush. 2009, Doom Patrol Volume 5, Giffen Clark. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Welcome back. Glad you guys came back for the second part. Now we're going to look at Starman number 11. The cover date was June of 1989, but the on-sale date, again, were in April the 25th of 1989. The cover price for this was $1. The editor was Robert Greenberger. Writer was Roger Stern, penciler Tom Lyle, inker Robert Smith, letter Robert M. Piana, colorist Michelle Wolfman, and the cover was done by our buddy Tom Lyle. The title of this issue is A Matter of Life and Death. And again, I forget if I said this in the first part, all this information comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. It's a great site. A lot of us podcasters use it because Mike's done some great job. Thanks, Mike. Uh, on to the synopsis for this issue, Starman visits Stellar Avionics Lab, where his powers are tested. While there, he learns of a connection to the Hutchings Institute. Later, he finds out that Dr. Melrose from the Institute has taken custody of the power elite. Starman confronts Melrose, 
who tells a fictitious story. Meryl's claims that the Power Elite are heroes duped by a Durland spy. He convinces Starman to help him revive them. After Melrose's machine revives the Elite, Starman is trapped and his energy is siphoned off into Damon Winters. However, the energy overloads Winters and the machine causing an explosion. Winters is killed, leaving Starman at the mercy of the other members of the Power Elites. And now for my thoughts on this issue, and as usual, we're going to start, well, the best place to start, on the cover of this issue. The cover of this issue, uh, again, we got the Starman logo. Below that is the star, Starman, and this is Bust Loose. And we see Starman, he's busting out of some sort of machine, which we'll see later in the issue. Uh, Starman, the lower half, actually more than half, I believe, of him is solid black. Uh, his eyes are glowing. He's got power rating off of him. Again, he, he's letting loose a lot of energy. And it shows here. We got our title credits, A Matter of Life and Death. And again, we start out with Starman helping out with uh, the Highway Patrolman from earlier in the series, Glenn Wharton. Wharton? 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 And so he's moving some equipment for his wife. And again, I like these first couple pages here. It's basically Starman interacting with uh, the police officer, the sheriff. Was he sheriff? High Patrolman. High Patrolman and his wife. And basically, it's a, basically a human interest portion of the story. She tells him to put the stuff down. And they're talking. And basically brings up what he thought about uh, the last couple of issues. That how he fought Blockbuster. And Blockbuster beat the tar out of him. And he wonders that if he took a serious injury and had some brain damage, if you will... What would happen to him then? What would happen with a brain gem Starman just walking around with the power that he has? And Glenn tells him, you know, I hear that, man. Maybe she gets the point of someone else who's been on the block a few times, you know, like Superman. And Starman says, well, if I could find it, that's an idea. And I believe at this point, this is right after Invasion. So I believe at this point, Starman is off, or Starman, Superman is off planet. Over the Superman titles uh, here a few months back, I don't know how long it was in real time, but here a while back, uh, Superman went to a pocket dimension, killed some Kryptonians that was threatening to come to Earth and destroy everyone here. So he took upon himself to be a judge, jury, and executioner. A great storyline. I think that was Burns' last story on Superman before he left. Uh, I mean, he had some fallout from that. He was having some sort of mental issues. He was really dealing with the guilt of killing these men. So he had an, uh, came with an alter identity called... Uh, he was using Gangbuster going around at night, fighting crime that way, being a little more violent and rougher with people. So he figured that wasn't a good thing to do. So he took himself off planet to try to protect people. So at this point here, this was shortly after he left. So I believe he's still out in space. That's partly why Starman can't find him. Uh, but back to this book. Again, I really like the interplay between Glenn and Starman here. Glenn saying now he's no hero that he can Offer suggestions, be no hero. And Starman's all, and Starman's all, hey, you didn't break that leg skiing. Your patrol car was blown out for an by a grenade. If you're no hero, why are you in such a hurry to get back to active duty? And then his wife comes in and gives him, gives him grief, you know, how he's gorgeous and smart. About most things. <laughs> but not quite right. And like the little interplay between, between uh, Glenn and his wife here. It shows they're a good couple. And like here on page four, Glenn says that some of the guys at the uh, station calls Starman the Lone Ranger. And Will gets thinking about how, you know, 
Well, if he was as good as the Ranger, he wouldn't get caught in ambushes. And then I like this right-hand panel here where we get a close-up of Starman's face. He's kind of leaning on his hand, thanking back about how he got attacked by Bolt and the Power Elites and the alien invasion and how he feels like he's always under the eight ball, how he's always feel like he, he's running behind on these things. And he's like, you know, it's thinking about me, it's time I start actually getting proactive about some of this. Find out where they came from. And again, a great transition here as Starman's saying, uh, it's time I started sorting things out. I want to know how the power elite knew when to attack me, who they are, why they attacked me. And the next page says, and where they came from. And at this point, we see the power elite in some status tubes that I mentioned in the synopsis with the energy flowing around them. It's just a nice transition. And then we'll skip over to the next page where Starman is using his powers for Stellar Avionics Lab, sending some, some heat, if you will, into this giant globe thing, melting it down from what it looks like. And he's thinking about how, you know, the, how the human, the elite's human flamethrower is able to strew a plasma. So he's like, let's see if I can do a little better. So he's all, he's all black. He's using, he's got so much power coursing through him as he's shooting power at this uh, you know, this giant metal ball. I guess it's not metal. It's a special ceramic. And so he's shooting. He didn't see how much he can get it. And the, the stand the ball's sitting on starts melting. <laughs> and one of the guys here says that the heat was so powerful that it fused the sand and the glass around it. So that's how powerful, how hot Starman can go and then as he lands he's, he's changing back to his normal color he's, he's cooling down if you will and I assume that just he's so hot he's black and not African American black but yeah he's, he's totally black here on this page at the top when he's just powering so much power through him to shoot this globe thing and he talks to the head of production guy named Charles, Charles Francis and they're talking about how he's thanking him for helping him out. He didn't think he was going to get back to him. And Starman notices how there's several boxes marked for Hutchings Institute. And he asks, would you do a lot of work for them? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they make satellite parts, things like that. And as Starman flies away, he's thinking about how, you know, the times he's met the Power Elite and how there's something up with that. How, and this lab he's associated with now has done work with the Hutchings lab, how it's not a coincidence. And again, part of the reason I like this book is Stern's writing. This comment here as he flies away, he's like, I've met used car salesmen less unctuous than Francis. <laughs> so basically he's kind of comparing him to, again, I'm going to show my age, to uh, Leave it to Beaver, uh, the character on their name, Eddie, who's always kissing up to Beaver's parents. Why, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver. What a lovely home you have. So basically kind of that kind of kiss-up attitude is what he's saying about Francis here. <laughs> As he flies away, Francis talks to one of the guys in the suits, and the guy pulls his helmet off, and it's, I forget his name, one of the guys from the Hutchings Institute with the glasses. And Francis tells him how he thinks, Starman thinks he's up to something. And, uh, the guy thinks it's Clemens. That may have been his name. I forget now. But he says, well, what well, doesn't matter? Because apparently they were using Starman or this this 
heating of the ceramic stuff just as a test to find out how powerful Starman is. Which just goes shows that Hutchie's Institute, if you had any doubts, isn't really a great place. <laughs> and then we cut to the next day where Will's hanging out with his friend. They're jamming away. And uh, afterwards, they're talking and his buddy, I think it's Rick, is reading a paper. And Starman sees the back page where it's his last of super beings to be released today. And Starman's, or Will's like, what? Can I see that? And well, he doesn't say, well, let's, can I see that? He takes it. So, What's this? And he's like, it's a newspaper. Well, actually, it's U.S. Today. But if he's that hard to read it, go ahead. And I like here when re- Will's reading about the article about the uh, last of the super beings released. Uh, for one, down below that on that same page, there's an article about Starman capturing Blockbuster. At the very bottom, nice reference to the the last couple of issues. And then on the back of the paper, we see there's a, a lo, uh, an ad for Batman the movie, which is nice. It's just got me thinking. I mean, I thought it was nice because, again, that's around the same time Batman the movie came out with Michael Keaton. But so apparently in the DC Universe, there is a Batman the movie. Apparently it's not the same Batman the movie we got. Because I'm sure the DC Universe at large doesn't know that Mike uh, Bruce Wayne is Batman. And Alfred's his manservant. Alfred, uh, Batman's manservant. But uh, it makes me think. It makes you think about that. Because yeah, that there is a Batman movie in the universe. So huh, that's interesting. Huh. This has got me thinking about that now. Hmm. Anyway, so Starman was reading the article and he says in the article, the paper he's reading, there's no mention about the power elites in the article, whether they're released or not. So he flies out to the Phoenix Institute and he talks to the doctor that's in charge there. And the guy says that a, a representative from the Hutchings Institute Dr. Melrose came by and picked up the power lead, left his car and said he was interested in meeting with Starman. And like here bottom of page 10, Starman's eyes kind of lighting up. He's like, uh, that makes two of us. So again, Starman's flying off once again. I, I love, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I love these pictures of Starman flying. I love his costume. Again, a lot of people call it the peanut butter and jelly costume. I don't care. I love it. I love the purple and the yellow. And the white on the costume is just a fantastic costume. I love this costume. Uh, Starman goes flying to the Hutching Institute. He goes in and Dr. Melrose comes out, you know, all, Starman, how good to finally meet you. We've been trying to contact you. We had no way. What's going on, buddy? He's like, you're Melrose? Indeed I am. And so him and Melrose talks and Melrose gives him, as I talk about the synopsis, like how he gives him the, what happens with the power elite what's going on with them but in his own way uh, Starman says yeah the power elite ambushed him and then the bomb went off and he couldn't do anything to help them all going out and here we, we're seeing scenes from the invasion where the bomb goes off and their, their powers are going haywire and then the National Guard shows up to take the power elite away to help them out just a nice flashback scene of the last couple of issues when he was fighting the power elite and 
the inv- whole invasion thing is just great. And then Starman starts, you know, chewing a mouse saying, you know, apparently you have something to do with it because you, you're involved. And again, so here's where Star, uh, Melrose starts laying on the bull saying how that, and it, it's sort of true, but it's sort of not. Because as we saw a couple issues ago, yes, there was a Durlin imposter that was trying to take over as Melrose, but he's blaming everything that's happened on the Durlin He's saying that, well, I'm trying to help the power elite. The Duralyn came along. He had mind control powers. He can mind control the elite into doing what what they wanted. The power elite's innocence. And Starman's kind of buying this. And then Melrose lays out the big thing about how Starman got his powers. He shows him pictures of the experiment. And... He lets him know how part of the, the energy from the satellite was actually diverted to the Rockies back in the first issue. And so Starman realizes that he got his powers because of the, the accident from the Institute. And uh, Starman's saying, like, uh, let me see, Melrose saying, that, you know, man, if your powers could set the world right. And Starman's like, I'm going to go that far. I've saved some lives. I'm glad of it. But any hate and suffering will take a lot more than what I've got. Part of me, he walks away thinking, naive, bleeding heart, fool. Because <laughs> again, well, Melrose isn't quite a, a mustache-trolling villain. He's pretty close. He's, he wants to do good for the world, but he, in his own misguided way. And so Melrose pulls out his file, the files and he says that he can save his brothers and sisters from a living death. And he's like, brothers, what are you talking about? And so he shows him how the power elite is dying, and he's got him hooked up to this machine to try to save him. They need the pa- they don't have enough power to return them to what they need to their full power in life. And most tell him, "Well, your your power, your energies can be channeled to give them the spark of life." That they're still coming to us from the alien invasion, and they need his his power to bring them back. To life, to, to save their lives, if you will. Uh, here on page seventeen, where Will, hey Starman, starts powering his his energy up, and again, the small little inset panel on the uh, left hand side, Starman, the top of him is normal, and then, like from his chest down, it's turning it's turned black, where he's powering up, and the next panel where he's all black again, just letting the energy flow through this device which is transferring into the Power Elites. Which we see is reviving the Power Elites. And they get Melrose sitting there saying they need another minute for to fully charge them. We can't let anything stop before then. And they release something called the Persuader, which pets clamps around Will. And uh, some clamps come down and goes on his head. And at this point, Will is completely black. Just, again, so much power is going through him through the device into the machines. And then here at the bottom of page 18, we see a couple of the power elite that have revived. They're getting out. And they look over at Dave, who's still in the machine. And instead of getting out and stopping the charge, he decides he wants to stay in there and keep getting more power because he's feeling even stronger and more powerful. Meanwhile, Starman still, you know, he's yelling at him. And again, all, you can see it's a black outline with a bit of his mouth and his eyes. You can see he's in pain there. He's like, Melrose, 
He's like, gotta release the heat. I'm way free. When I do, bonds aren't melting. Why? So he's trying to, again, he's got so much heat coming through and he's trying to siphon it or release it into the machine to melt his way free. And I like this way this page is set up here. Page, uh, Page 20. One side we see Will trying to melt his way free, trapped in the machine. The other half of the page, actually like a quarter of the page and three quarters. The other three quarters, we see uh, Dave refusing to get out of the machine. And they're telling him, you know, they got to get out of there. Really, He's releasing too much energy and it's not being siphoned off properly. And I like this. He's all, winners, come on, we got to get out of here. Dave, I believe his name is the machine, so he says, stuff it, Donovan. I don't know how most trick Starman to play Energizer, but I'm taking all the power I can get. And he's just siphoning more and more power. And everyone else inside the control looking, watching as this goes on. And Dave, at this point, is just power hungry, if you will, and he's absorbing all the power he can. And so basically, it's, it's a standoff fuel. A Russian roulette or a, uh, a Mexican standoff between Will releasing the energy and Dave in there absorbing the power. And Will's trying to turn the power off, but he's not able to get it turned off. And again, here at the bottom page, I guess that was page 21, this is page 20. Uh, Dave's all, yes, more power, more, 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 just like anyone else, anyone, but yeah, most of your, your power mad. Uh, super villains, he's taking more power to handle. And then here on page 21, we see Will, aka Starman, getting free. And I really like the way this page is laid out. It's, it's just shown Will flowing free. Uh, again, his upper torso and head is back to regular color. The rest of him still blackened out. The machine's exploding. And then down at the very bottom, we see Dave just being disintegrated. Just about his glasses are flying off. He's admits he's like, more. <laughs> it's just a great page. This, this is almost good enough to be a, a poster. And then Starman falls down and the power light come in. And they find that Dave is, is disintegrated and killed. And so now, the, obviously, the power light is angry at Starman for this. So they're like, yeah, you blew him apart. You know, your power, Dave is dead, and I'm going to make you pay for it. And, well, as Cheech and Chong say, Dave's not here, man. Who is it? It's me, Dave. Open up, man. I got the stuff. Who is it? It's me, Dave, man. Open up. I got the stuff. Who? It's Dave, man. Open up. I think the cops saw me come in here. Who is it? It's it's Dave, man. Will you open up? I got the stuff with me. Who? Dave, man. Open up. Dave? Yeah, Dave. Come on, man. Open up. I think the cops Dave's saw me. Dave's not here. No, man. I'm Dave, man. Hey, come on, man. Who is it? It's Dave, man. Will you open up? I got the stuff with Who? me. Dave, man, open up. Dave? Yeah, Dave. Dave's not here. No, man, I am Dave, man. Will you? Come on. Open up the door, will you? I got the stuff with me. I think the cops saw Who me. Who is it? Oh, what the hell is it? Come 
can't open up the door. It's Dave. Who? Dave. D-A-V-E. Will you open up the goddamn Dave? door? Yeah, Dave. Dave. Right, man. Dave. Now, will you open up the door? Dave's not here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people don't care much for the Power Elite. I, I think they're an interesting group. They're not great villains. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But I, I enjoy the Power Elite and what they bring to the table. Again, they're... they're we're supposed to have Starman's power originally, but due to the satellite malfunctioning, exploding, and, and dousing Starman with part of their power, they don't have what they're supposed to. So they do come across sometimes as kind of one note. They're, they're just your, your standard... We don't have a real background on them. We haven't gotten any characterizations really for them. Other than Dave, who's power-hungry and now dead. But I, I like the Power Leaf, what they are. And I think if they had more of a... Again, not the... This Roger Stern. I think Rogers did a great job. Rogers? Rogers did a great job on this book. But if, if their background was explored a little bit more, a little more characterization, they may be better villains. But... I believe, if I'm not mistaken, next issue is the last we're going to see the Power Elite for a while, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but... But yeah, I'm enjoying the artwork in this book. I love this costume, as I've said repeatedly. I, I love Roger Stern's artwork in here. This is a... a the costume's a very four-color, superhero-esque costume to me. The writing is very old-school, which, in my opinion, is a good thing. I... Yeah, what do you guys think? Have you guys read this issue? Do you guys like it? Let me know what you think. I don't hear enough from you people. Write in and let me know what you think. Yeah, you can send me your, your emails to smah at headspeaks.com. That stands for Star Man Manhunter Adventure Hour at headspeaks.com. I'm waiting to hear from you. Go ahead and leave me some ideas, some Facebook, or some, yeah, Facebook comments. Or leave me a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. I could definitely use those. Now, without further fanfare, let's move on to Cup Comics Comic Rack. I really need to come up with an intro for this. Anyways, this is the book. These are the books that were uh, had a on. They were on sale April of 1989. April of 1989. Uh, we're going to start with Action Comics Annual Number Two. This was, I think, the last part of the Superman in Exile storyline, where Superman exiled himself into space after killing the Kryptonians. I mentioned it earlier in this episode, in fact. Um, let me see real quick. This is continued from Adventures 5, 454 and continues into Superman 32. And no, I'm incorrect. This isn't the last part. Uh, this is continued. But yes, this was a good annual. I remember this one. I loved this when it came out. I enjoyed the whole Exile storyline. Uh, moving on. Again, these aren't all the books that were on sale. These are just the ones that I want to bring up because they mean something to me for whatever reason. Adventures of Superman 455, another part of the Superman in Exile storyline. Uh, this one shows Superman and I think his name is the Cleric. And Superman's holding up the Eradicator, which will become a big part of Superman's life in the near future, this story-wise, as it goes. Akira number 11. I never read the comic, but I watched the, the Japanese anima animated movie. It was a good movie. Uh, may have to check that out one of these days. Alf 18, never with that comic. I got the first couple issues, I think, but I liked Alf when I was younger. Uh, moving on, there was Alpha Flight. 
Amazing Spider-Man 318. This was a couple months after I started collecting Spider-Man. This one here looks like it has uh, the Scorpion in it. He's on the cover fighting Spider-Man. This was when Mr. Todd McFarlane was doing the art for this book. So you know this had some good artwork in it. Uh, moving on, there was Animal Man number 12. This was Grant Morrison's work on Animal Man. This was a great series, especially the first 24 issues, 25 or so issues was Grant Morrison. After that, I started going a little more wacky. Eventually became Vertigo. I lost interest in it, but I enjoyed Animal Man. I thought it was really good. Then there was Aquaman number one. This was uh, took place after the, this was after Aquaman's appearance in Invasion. This was his next appearance, and I'm not sure if this was the regular series or if this was a, a mini series. I'm looking at Mike's Amazing World of Comics. It's like get most of my information from it. It doesn't specify it's a limited series. So I believe this may have been a regular series. Uh, moving on from that, uh, there's some Archie books. I always enjoyed Archie when I was younger, but never didn't really read any of these. Avengers 306, Avengers Spotlight 21. Avengers Spotlight was more like, it was mostly a Hawkeye solo book with other characters sharing a uh, mini story. Avengers West Coast. I enjoyed that series. I was picking this up, I believe, at the time. We're about ready to. My friend Billy had bought this and got me into it. Uh, moving on from there, there was Batman 434, which uh, this was a great cover. This was uh, called How Many Times Can a Batman Die? It was part of the uh, mini Deaths of Batman storyline. This cover, we've got a uh, Commissioner Warden standing by the corner with a bunch of uh, lockers, wherever they are. Open up with what two, four, five? We see five Batman bodies. I don't remember this. I remember this cover, but I can't remember the storyline. Again, it's been a while. Then we have Batman Annual number thirteen. Uh, these had two different stories. Then it looks like. Again, I bought all these. Uh, moving on from there, there was Captain America three fifty six. Good story. That was I believe he was fighting the Serpent Society, if I'm not mistaken. Followed up by Captain Adam number 29. Uh, this leads into the Suicide Squad 28, which I'll be covering here in a couple of months. This is part of the Jazz Trail. Well, get ahead of myself. Ja uh, Captain America 29 isn't part of it, but <clears throat> Captain Adam's next appearance after this issue is Suicide, 20 Suicide Squad 28, which is part of the uh, Jazz Directive storyline I'll be covering soon. And I believe Captain America 30... If I check real quick, yeah, that's also part of the Jazz Directive, so I'll be covering that also, but that's for next month. This issue here, it's got a really neat cover. It says, to be or not to be Captain Adam, and we see Captain Adam flying off one way, walking away from us is his alter identity of Nathaniel Adam. Uh, it's a really nice cover. I don't, I know I've had read this series. It's a good series. I don't remember this issue right offhand, but it's been a while. Uh, next I'm going to mention is uh, Cerebus. Cerebus? How do you pronounce it? I never bought these. Only service I ever read was in uh, an issue of uh, Spawn <laughs> that Dave Sim wrote. But this was a, a very popular, well-known book, so I just wanted to mention that. Uh, they're up to issue 121 at this point, at this point in time. And there was also a bi-weekly number 10 and 11 that came out this month. Checkmate number 17. And also checkmate number 18. Those were parts 5 and nine of the Janus Directive. So the Janus Directive was in full force here. And again, I'll be covering those over my Task Force X podcast here in the near future. 
Classic X-Men 36, which is a reprint of the old X-Men stories. Uh, Cops, number 12. This was uh, not the bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do, but this was based on the, the TV series, Cops, about a futuristic it's initial COPS, a central organization of police specialists, it is. Uh, it was a good cartoon. I enjoyed I think I read some of the comic. I can't remember offhand, but... Uh, I enjoy Cops for what it was. Uh, moving on, Damage Control number four. That was a Fortune mini series. Those were the people that cleaned up the Marvel Universe. Uh, that was a funny series. Daredevil 269. Uh, Daredevil, again, I probably right around the time I started reading Daredevil, or maybe right after this. Uh, for more on Daredevil, check out J. David Weeder's uh, Daredevil podcast. Oh, and I forgot to mention, for Batman, you can check out uh, both... Uh, well, this cover, this era of Batman is being covered by Ryan Daly and uh, Chris Franklin over on the Dark Knight podcast. And also for more of Superman, which I mentioned back up in the action titles, you can check out Michael Bailey's uh, From Crisis to Crisis Superman podcast. He's covering this era of Superman. Uh, for more on Aquaman, which I mentioned previously... Check out the Fire and Water Podcast Network with the Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. Uh, no one's doing an animal, man. I may cover that at some point. Uh, but moving on to the other books for this month. Uh, Detective Comics 600. That was an anniversary issue. I have that one. Or had it. I'm not sure if we still do or not. Um, this was, I believe, the last part of the Blind Justice storyline, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Batman or Bruce Wayne was shot... And we see more of his background with Henry Ducard, who was actually brought up in the, uh, the Nolan Batman movie. Uh, moving on, Dr. Fate number six. This was the Eric and Linda Strauss. Dr. Fate, where the two would merge, kind of like Firestorm. Uh, I believe this was Eric and Linda merging. And uh, eventually, Linda would take more prominence and Dr. Fate become a woman. That was a good series. I enjoyed that one. Uh, moving on from there, Doom Patrol 23. This was, I think this was part of Picking Up the Wreckage. Yeah, this was after the invasion when uh, Paul Kupperberg left the title and Grant Morrison came on and started making it a little more weird and really wackadook. For more on the Doom Patrol, check out the Waiting for Doom podcast. That's a great show. Uh, also this month was Excalibur number 11. I read my buddy Billy was buying those. Fantastic Four 329. Firestorm 86. This was about a year, just over a year before the Firestorm, 14 issues before Firestorm was canceled. Uh, this was being written by John Ostender, who I talked about on this show with uh, Manhunter. And uh, this was part of the Janus Directive storyline. This was issue seven of it. Again, I will be touching upon this issue uh, oh, probably about six months down the road or so. Uh, Flash 27. That was a great comic. I enjoyed that Flash. I don't think anyone's actually covering this era of Flash. I know there's the Flash podcast by my, my buddy Andy B. that talks about the TV show. Also, there's Flash Channel number three. Moving on, there was G.I. Joe, Real American Hero 89. Also, there was European Missions number 11, which was the Action Force being retold for American audiences. And Action Force was G.I. Joe being retold for European audiences, but a different spin. And then G.I. Joe Special Missions 24. This had Jinx taking down the uh, Cobra Commander in the battle armor. Again, for more on G.I. Joe, check out my very own show, G.I. Joe, a real, a real American headcast. Uh, 
The Greatest Superman Stories Ever Told Trade Paperback. I used to have this one. Had some great stories in it. Green Arrow 19. For more on Green Arrow, check out the, uh, the, the Sutherlands and their podcast, uh, Warlord Worlds. Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters trade paperback. I already did. I wanted to find this, but I never did find this back when I was buying books. This was when Dark uh, Green Arrow went darker. You started using Royal Arrows. Black Canary lost your Canary Cry, and so forth. A Hawk and Dove number one. This was the first issue of the new series, written by Barbara and Carl Kiesel. Uh, this was I, I enjoyed this series. Had a crappy ending because I had to end it for. We'll get to that. Well, actually, I'm covering that. Over on my uh, Head Speaks podcast, this ended because of the Armageddon 2001. Check out my Armageddon 2001 coverage on Head Speaks. Hellblazer 19, again, uh, my buddy Scott, later in life, I would meet him, and he was reading this one. Uh, Hero Hotline number three, I didn't pick this up, but I believe this is the one that one of the guys at the comic shop was telling me about that was a really good book, but I never did check that one out. I need to find that one. Uh, the Huntress number three, this was a four-issue miniseries. Reintroducing the new, or maybe this was the actual series now that I think about it. This was written by Joe Cavallari, penciled by Joe, Joe Staten. Uh, actually, this may have been the actual, this was probably the actual, yeah. This was the Huntress actual series. This was the hunter, rebooted Huntress, if you will, because originally Huntress was Batman Catwoman's daughter on Earth 2. This is the post-crisis Catwoman, which is not related to her. Uh, her parents were a mob family, and long story there. Incredible Hulk, issue 358. This was written by Peter David with the gray Mr. Fix-It-Hulk, looks like. Iron Man, number 245, and Annual, number 10. Annual, number 10, was part of the Atlantis Atlantis Attacks storyline. I picked that up. That had a Namor on the cover with Iron Man. I enjoyed that period of Iron Man. Uh, Moving on. I didn't buy this one, but there's James Bond, Permission to Die, number 1, by Eclipse Comics. I never saw that one. I mentioned that just because uh, my buddy Jared Albrecht, the art cell artist, does a James Bond podcast. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, Just League 27. I'm sorry, Just League America 27. Uh, this had Amanda Waller from the Suicide Squad on it. I'll be covering that, I think, next month, if my schedule's correct. Uh, and then following that was Just League Europe number three, which was the new Just League Europe title spun out of the uh, Invasion series. Again, for more on the Just League America, Just League Europe, check out my buddy Irredeemable Shag's Just League, what is it, the uh, Just League International Blahaha podcast. It's a great show. I was on there once. He wouldn't have me back for some reason. Hmm. Anyways, Legion 89, number five. This had uh, Viral Docs and Lobo. This was when Lobo started becoming a big part of uh, Legion. Moving on from there, the Legion Superhero 61, uh, Manhunter number 14 which is part of the Janus Directive. It sounds familiar. This kind of looks familiar for some reason. No, it's one we covered this month. Moon Knight, or I'm sorry, it's called Mark Spectre, Moon Knight number three. I remember liking that series. Uh, Marvel Age 77 just talks about Marvel Comics and interviews and things like that. Marvel Comics presents 26, oh, 25 and 26. That was a uh, anthology series. Not bad, I read those on and off. Uh, let me see what else there was this month. Mr. Miracle number five, great series. I love Mr. Miracle. The Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger number six. That was a good series. Cloak and Dagger does have a new show coming out in about two weeks. New Gods number four. I bought this one. Not a huge fan of New Gods, but I bought it. A new Guardians number nine. 
Again, another series I bought. I seem to remember enjoying this, but I hear nothing but junk talk about it nowadays, so I may have to revisit that. Uh, New Mutant 78. Again, my buddy Billy uh, bought these books. New Titans 55. This was part of the Who Is Donna Troy storyline. Great story. This was right after we became the New Titans from the New Teen Titans. Going on, there was uh, Power of the Atom number 13 which I'll be covering at some point over on Head Speaks once I finish the Armageddon 2001. Power Pack 48, Punisher 22. Again, just some books I bought that I remember buying or liking. Uh, moving on from there, there was the, let's see, Secret Origins number 41 and Annual number 3. 41 was the Flash's Rogues Gallery and number 3 was the Teen Titans Origin. My buddy uh, Ryan Daly had a podcast called the Secret Origins Podcast. That was a great show. It's now over with because he's covered all the issues, but it was good. Sensational She-Hulk number four. Uh, a couple Silver Surfers. Uh, made a Spectacular Spider-Man 153. I enjoyed that book. Spectre 26. I believe that was being written by John Ostinger. No, that was Doug Minch at this time. Must have been after John then. I enjoy reading the Spectre series. Starman 11, which we just talked about. Suicide Squad 28, which is part of the Jazz Directive. And also 29, which we'll be getting to in a couple months. Superman 32, as I mentioned earlier, is part of the X Superman and Exile storyline. Uh, there was the Teen Titan Turtle Adventure, Mutant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures number three by Archie Comics, which was based on the TV show. Mighty Thor 406, Transformers 55. I enjoyed that. Stay tuned for Rob Kelly's uh, box. What it was, uh, Rob Kelly's. Boxcast. <laughs> Would work better if I didn't triple by going out. Then Candy X-Men 247. X-Men was always good back then. And Web Spider-Man 53. What If number two. This was the actual, the new, the second series for What If. What If started out as a really good title. Near the end wasn't quite so good, but uh, Wolverine number 10. Wonder Woman 31. X-Factor 43. Again, this was the original X-Men reformed. Again, my, my buddy Billy bought this book. X-Men Annual 13, which is part of the Atlantis Attacks. And that's and then there's also Young All-Stars 26. I didn't pick this one up. Billy may have. Uh, that looks like it may have been the last issue from the cover. Uh, nope, there was another issue after that. So, But it's an interesting cover. The cover shows uh, the team walking away. The Young All-Stars title is all ripped up on the center of the page with the spotlight on it. So I thought maybe it was the last issue. But no, it looks like it goes on from there. So... Anyways, those were the books that were on sale April of 1989. Again, the ones that I cared about, the ones I wanted to mention. Uh, there may have been more, but I'm not worried about those. <laughs> Anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. We're just a little over an hour, so I'm going to cut you guys loose. Be sure to join us for the rest of our shows here on the Headcast Network. We have G.I. Joe, Royal American Headcast, where hopefully next week I should be releasing episode 21. The Silent Interlude, that's going to be a big special with uh, like seven other guest co-hosts on it. Uh, a lot of work going on to that one. But we're looking at issue 21, The Silent Interlude. Following week is Head Speaks 38, part of our Armageddon 2001 crossover. That I'm looking at Action Comics Annual number 3 with guests Michael Bailey and Clint Robinson. The following week, we're looking at Task Force X, issue, and that's episode 36. That's uh, Checkmate 14, 
And Suicide Squad 25, the following week we return, which will be about a month from now, with Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour number 16. We'll look at the May 1989 books. Um, remember, until next time, Star Hunters, keep looking to the stars. So long. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Please join us next month for another great, fantastic episode as we cover another issue of the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series. Uh, keep in mind that these podcasts are not affiliated or endorsed by DC Comics. I'm just a fanboy who loves these comics and wants to spread these love with everyone else out there and just talk about them. Um, again, you can email us at smah at headspeaks.com. Or you can go to our blog, which is at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash starman-manhunter-adventure-hour. No spaces, all one word. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode... This is Aaron Moss saying, see you in the funny pages.